Warning, warning, is the title of message number five of Dr. Joel Hunter's series. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of His robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above Him, each having six wings. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Lord, we thank You that You have come to seek and to save the lost. Lord, we thank You especially when we realize that each one of us stand in that number. Lord, we're aware through Your Word and through what we've sung here this morning that it is Your blood that redeems us. It was by Your sacrifice that we have been made worthy to stand before You. It is Your righteousness that we put on and that You see. And Lord, we thank You for that truth that allows us to come here. We thank You for the truth also that penetrated our heads and our hearts at some point and made us aware of our need to respond to Your grace. And so, Lord, we come this morning as men and women who stand in different places there, for many of us have responded to Your grace. And we would pray that You would take us the next step in our search and our pursuit in maturity. And Lord, some come here this morning seeking even that first step. And so, Lord, we pray that Your Holy Spirit will just invade our thoughts and our hearts and prepare us now to hear the truth from Your Word as it is delivered to us by Your servant, Joel. Lord, may Your Holy Spirit take over His words so that our hearts will be changed. And we pray that through all of this that we will be renewed through the transforming of our mind by the power of Your grace and Your Word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, <clears throat> let's go through the next four chapters in Revelation. Fasten your safety belts. This is going to be a jet plane ride through the next four chapters in the book of Revelation. As you know, last week we talked about the seals, which were the tribulations that had to do with people's reaction to one another. They could be generally grouped in the category of mentalities. The trumpets are the next series, the next view of this tribulation, which has to do with our circumstances and with spiritual warfare. And it has to do specifically and especially with the unbelieving segment of the population of the world. Now, a trumpet in Scripture is always an instrument to call you to alert. It is a warning. It is, it is saying there's something big here coming. You need to pay attention. That's what a trumpet does. And so, as we go back to our old friend Albrecht Durer, who was the, uh, the 15th century, uh, 16th century uh, wood uh, carver that, that gave us these wonderful prints of his vision of these chapters of the Bible. As we go back to, those, to him for the visual um, platform today, I want you to hear uh, a trump. I want to hear, you to hear a chauffeur, a ram's horn, uh, that uh, 
could very well be the Trump that you will hear someday. And if you do, you better look up immediately. Okay? Uh, show the slide and blow the Trump. Remember that sound. Now, let me take you through this, this uh, uh, representation of the eighth chapter of the book of Revelation and explain to you uh, kind of the content, and then I'll, I'll give a little commentary on it. Uh, in the opening verses of the book of Revelation, it talks about uh, them being gathered around the throne, uh, and it talks about a, an angel who is at the altar, who is, a, who is kind of an additional angel to the ones that are going to be given the trumpets. This angel has a censer that is full of incense, and the wonderful sweet smell goes up to the Lord God. Um, and that perfume, that incense, uh, surrounds, uh, 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 technically, it's the perfume that surrounds the prayers of the saints. It is, in the uh, fifth chapter of Ephesians, talks about the sacrifice of Christ, which is the sweet-smelling uh, uh, offering to God. So, actually, this represents the sacrifice of Christ which surrounds our prayers as they go to God. Now, it says that at one point he takes the censer and he fills it with fire and he casts the fire down to the earth. And then we hear the sound of the first trump. The first trumpet sounds and what happens, if you could just focus this just a little better in this section right here. Thank you. What happens is that uh, we have uh, fire and blood mixed with hail that rains down upon the environment of the earth. And in the earth, there are fires that destroy uh, a third of the earth. So what we have here is a judgment upon the environment of the earth. The second trump sounds, and we have something that is falling into the ocean that looks as big as a mountain. See the little hands coming, throwing down this thing into the ocean. And in the, in the seas, there are, uh, there's great pollution, uh, a third of them filled with blood, uh, a third of the creatures die, and a third of the ships are destroyed. You can see these ships going down here. Ships, by the way, uh, are a mainstay of commerce of the time. And so, what this is, is a great interruption in the economics or the finances of the world. Now, the third uh, trump sounds, and there is cast down a star as a fire into the fresh waters uh, and into the wells. This is a well right here. Into the wells of the earth, the fresh uh, waters of the earth, so that they are made very bitter. Um, and again, the symbolism here is that which we depend upon for our resources every day. That's what, that which we count upon to nourish us is made um, uh, uh, bitter and interrupted and it's taken away in an unexpected fashion. And then the fourth, fourth uh, uh, trump sounds and um, there are distractions in the heavenlies. The sun and the moon and the stars, uh, it says, cease to shine for a third of the time. Therefore, what we have always looked up to for inspiration and for guidance is now uh, very hidden. Uh, at least uh, a good part of the time is hidden and is taken away from us. And then it talks, if you read through the chapter, about this eagle. 
Now, the, the, the Greek, I think I've told you before, for eagle is, uh, I think it's itau, and there is no differentiation in Greek between an eagle and a vulture. So you can decide for yourself which uh, bird this is. Uh, I had somebody from the Audubon Society last night come up to me afterwards and said, eagles and vultures are very much alike. Uh, they both feed off carrion, you know, and so on and so forth. So anyhow, um, but he is, he is crying, uh, that's Latin. Ve, ve, ve. It means woe, woe, woe. Um, and uh, you can take the slide off now. Let me talk for a little bit. Uh, basically, um, we would probably translate that uh, W-H-O-A, woe. Uh, there is something happening here. I want you to pay attention. As a matter of fact, you can, um, you can remember the trumps as the word woe. I want you to slow down. I want you to think of what is happening here and why God is doing what he's doing. Now, these first four trumps uh, that are in the eighth chapter, that are the eighth chapter of the, Re- of the book of Revelation, have to do with our environment. Always before, when there was a tremendous disturbance in our environment, there was, in repentant people's mind, a connection between that and their behavior, or at least an opportunity to repent of their behavior. In this country, in years past, when there was a great famine on the land or a great trial in the environment, the preachers would climb up in their pulpit and they would say, this is a judgment of God. They would say it right to the people. They would say, consider your sins. Repent. God's trying to get our attention. Now that may seem odd to you because... We have so put our troubles today in clinical terms or in political terms that we don't consider anymore that the great disturbances might be God trying to get our attention. Not only did the preachers do that, but lo and behold, our political leaders did that. I want to read for you just a portion of the proclamation of President Abraham Lincoln in 1863, at the height of the Civil War, where he considers why this thing has happened to the nation. And he calls the nation to a day of prayer and fasting and repentance. Listen to this. This is from our president. And picture as I read this, if you can picture any president today making this kind of proclamation. It is the duty of nations as well as of men, to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God, to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon, and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. The awful calamity of civil war, which now desolates the land, may be but a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins. To the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins, 
and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. Can you imagine that coming from any politician today? Imagine what would happen to that person. How have we come so far to not understand that what may be happening around us, especially if it is of a catastrophic nature, would be part of the mercy of God, part of the love of God to alert us to that which is destroying our lives, would be a part of the call of Him to change our ways. It is. Now the second part of these trumpets, the second two, are trumpets that change nature. They don't have to do with the environment so much as they have to do with the actual spiritual warfare that God will take us through, that God does take us through. I want you to see the language. It says, and I saw a star from heaven, which is stars are, are symbolic of angels, which had fallen to earth, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him, and he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went up out of the pit, and the smoke of a great furnace, and so on and so forth. Now, as we put this slide up, I want again to sound the trump because of the different nature of this uh, particular warfare. All right, Put up the slide, sound that trump again. I want you to take a look at this warfare, and I want you to notice who's inflicting the warfare. Now, the first part of this says that there will be strange creatures coming out of the pit that torment those who do not have the seal of God on their forehead. Now, forehead was a place that that resembled the, that was uh, that was stood for the mind. Those people who are unconverted, those people who are going through the torment of living this life without hope. Any hope but what's inside them. Any hope but the reference they have to their own resources. That is the most depressing, hopeless situation anybody can get in. And these things of the pit, whose commander is the destroyer, it, the Bible says. In other words, Satan. Satan is the destroyer. Whose commander is the destroyer is sent against those people without faith around us and puts them in such emotional torment that they can hardly cope. And as a matter of fact, most often they wish they were dead. I want you also to notice, as you read through this chapter, the description of these things. They're absolutely fascinating. They, they, they're very strange creatures, which is part of the problem. You know, most people drift into temptation, not, uh, not starting with temptations, but, but they become fascinated with the wrong things. They say, you know, I just want to take a look at this. This is so interesting to me and they become fascinated and what happens is that they discover just like these creatures is that the sting the danger is hidden anytime you see something in scripture where it has the sting in the tail it means you don't see the sting right away after you start to look at it the sting comes up out of nowhere and gets you and that's exactly the nature of this spiritual warfare we become fascinated with those things that we shouldn't be looking at just to be kind of interested as to see how this stuff is put together. And then, bang, we're gotten. Okay, so, and then it says, and there was an army. The sixth trump sounds, and there's an army that is raised up after the angel of four. And it says the armies number 200 million. 
Now, I want you to be very careful here to remember this is spiritual warfare. It's not physical warfare. It says very clearly in Scripture that the angels... Focus this just a little bit so we can see those angels better, will you? That the angels, thank you, are the ones that are doing the battle and killing the people. In other words, the spiritual warfare is resulting in the death of people from the trials and tribulations that they're going through. And we'll see what the spiritual warfare is in just a moment. But I don't want you to get the idea that this, you know, so for so long people say, well, I think it's Russia that's going to come down out of Veda because the symbol, you know, and I've heard, I've even heard John MacArthur say, and I like John, but I've heard John MacArthur say, well, you need to keep in mind right now that the number of the Chinese army right now is about 200 million. Well, he's kind of missing the point here. The point is not the physical army. The point is that this is spiritual warfare. 200 million probably was about the size of the population of the world minus the believing population uh, back when this thing was written. It's, it's a great number and it stands for many people who are undergoing this scourging, this terrible spiritual warfare. Okay, turn the lights back on. Let me talk for just a second about this particular chapter. I want you to remember again that the reason that these things are happening, even to the point of death, even to the point of suicide, is because God is trying to get people to the place of pain so that they will repent. Most of you know change does not... Change comes so reluctantly in our life that most people don't make change until they're in a great deal of pain. And that's exactly what God knows. And so God sends the pain. Okay? If that's the only thing... If that's all you'll respond to, that's what we'll go with. But I don't want you to... Tell me I never gave you the chance. And so there's this tribulation that is sent. Now it says in verse 18, a third of mankind was killed by these plagues. And then it says in verse 20, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, notice it's not warts, plagues, not killed by these plagues, did not repent, and the works of their hands, of the works of their hands, so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold. Now, here comes the plagues. Now, plagues are not yet named, but they will be soon. They'll be characterized soon. The plague is false worship. From false worship always always comes false action, and from false action, many times it results in both physical and spiritual death. It results in spiritual death when we get to the point where we just won't repent. We don't want to hear it anymore. We're tired of hearing it. And so we turn ourselves off to it, no matter how painful it is. We won't consider repenting. And that's exactly where they had gotten to. If you read in verse uh, 21, you'll, you'll read what those false actions that follow false worship. Read them with me. See if any of these fit. It says, and they did not repent of their murders. We talked last week about the increase of murder. We talked about the increase of, of taking uh, lives and, and, and there's a tremendous increase in murdering yourself outright. They did not repent of their sorceries. Now, the Greek word here for sorcery is pharmakion, from which we get the word pharmacy. It's drugs. Sorceries, back then, magic was cooked up, some, sometimes by taking drugs, many times by taking drugs, working oneself into this religious stupor. It's kind of the analogy of peyote, uh, using peyote to worship. Uh, and so there was, there, was this, there was this use of drugs that would give uh, people this sense of, of uh, false peace, sense of uh, insight, sense of uh, what, what, what a, a, 
a genuine worship would do for us. It gave it genuine worship gives you confidence, it gives you genuine insight, and it gives you genuine security. The the counterfeit of that comes from drugs that pretend to give you confidence and insight and security. And so there is this plague. How many people die today because of drug use? How many people commit suicide because of drug use? Read on with me. It says, nor of their immorality. The, the Greek word is, is uh, porneo. It's, it's, it's just the word from which we get pornography. It's, it's sexual immorality of any kind. How many people are dying because of sexually transmitted diseases? How many people are dying because of the despair of being slaves to lust? It says, nor of their thefts. You say, well, thefts, you know, nobody dies of that. Let me, let me just make a quick connection for you, because this connection is in my mind. I want to I just say to you outright, I believe theft is the motto of the American business system today. You know why? Because nobody anymore tries, or, or no, that's an exaggeration, very few people anymore try to sell something for what it's worth. Everybody always tries to get, quote, as much as they can out of it. Get whatever people are willing to pay, and that's your profit. No more is the mentality of, I'll give you this for what I have in it, and for whatever labor I put into it, that's fair. Now it is, let me get whatever I can from you. That's theft. That's not profit, that's theft. You're taking what you don't deserve. That's a spirit of greed. Now let me make the next connection. How many suicides today? How many attitudes of absolute despair come from financial insolvency? Come because people are so tight for finances, they can't provide for their families. They just don't know how they're going to make it. How many divorces happen because of finances? Huge numbers, right? That's what the spirit of theft does. And that's how rampant it is in this culture. Well, the problem here is that people don't want to hear about it. People don't want to hear about it. I'm reminded of William Golding's uh, book, Lord of the Flies. Remember that classic little book in which these English youth are put on an island and they slowly degenerate into savagery? When they first get there, they have a symbol of civilization and organization. It's a conch shell. And when they blow the conch shell, you know, they all come together and they kind of remember how they were organized. But slowly... They, they, they turn into little animals, little beasts. As a matter of fact, there's a point in the book when there's, where this little guy who's nicknamed Piggy says to Ralph, blow the conch shell. If you don't, we'll soon all be animals. But that's what happens anyhow. They don't want to hear the conch shell. And that's exactly what happens in this book. If you hear the trumpet, eventually you won't hear it anymore if you don't want to hear it. And so they go on into their degeneracy. And the difference between believers and non-believers is that believers are willing to listen and check and change. That's the difference. Now, let me tell you why they're willing to do that. Because Dickinson wrote called, uh, um, It Was Too Late for Man. It, it starts out like this. It was too late for man, but early yet for God. Creation impotent to help, but prayer was still our side. How excellent the heaven when earth cannot be had. How 
hospitable then the face of our old neighbor, God. You see, Christians have a reference point and a hope when things aren't turning out all right in the world. And that is what chapter 10 is about. If you'll turn on the uh, uh, slide projector and show us the slide for chapter 10, it says, And I saw a strong angel coming down from heaven, and his face was like the, shone like the sun, and, the, and there was a rainbow about his head, and he was clothed in clouds, and his two legs were like pillars of fire, uh, and they, one stood on the sea and one stood on the land. And, and there's, this, there's this strong angel who comes down, and then something happens. He said, and I heard the seven peals of thunder. And the angel said, and I'll tell you about this in a minute, don't write that part down. <laughs> See, here's the, here's the Apostle John, and he's, he's recording this. Uh, and he said, don't write that part down. And then he said there was, a, there was a book that he had. And I was commanded to eat the book. And in my stomach, the words were sweet, but, the, but the, in my stomach they were bitter. In my mouth, the words were sweet, but in my stomach they turned bitter. All right? Now, I want you to see this, and I want you to see especially where the hand of the angel is pointing. The reference point of this angel is always to heaven. It's always to the altar that stands in heaven. And that is the distinct advantage of the believers, the distinct advantage of those who have faith. Now, let me comment on this. The 11th chapter comes to the believer and says, here's what I want you to remember. That as I'm sorry, the 10th chapter. This is the 10th chapter. That as all of this is going on, I want you to remember that you have a reference point beyond what you experience and beyond what you know. Let me give you what I believe is the, is the, the focal point of the despair of the world. They have no sense of transcendence. They think all there is is what they can understand. They think all there is is what they experience. They don't believe in a world beyond that. Let me tell you where that comes from, philosophically, historically. In Aristotle, in his brilliant philosophical system, was differentiated from Plato in that Plato said that the real reality is in forms that down here have pale imitations. And, and that's basically the philosophy or the theology of Christianity. Well, Aristotle, in order to balance that, said, no, the significance of things, the essence of things, is in race or... Um, Inherent in the things themselves. All right? Now, he meant that as a balance. But what has happened is a mutated Aristotelianism that down through the ages has taken on the philosophies clothed in the philosophies of Nietzsche that said, don't believe in anything transcendent. It weakens you. All that we have is this will to power. And so try to be powerful in this world and that's what will be real. We have the despair of the, of the existentialism of Jean-Paul Sartre and Albert Camus that says all that we have is what we can see or what we can experience. We are responsible for our sins, but all, the only resources we have is us. We have it in, in philosophies of John Dewey uh, that greatly shaped the American education system that said, you know what, morality isn't that which is transcendent. Morality is what you can put into practice in your everyday life. Morality is whatever is useful. 
That's where that mentality comes from. Whatever is useful, that's morality. Whatever you can use, but that's all there is. We have it in the, in the philosophy of a B.F. Skinner in, in psychology that says, you know, life is basically conditioned response. Forget about this transcendent stuff, about this, this higher reference point. It's basically how you react to life. And so if we can, if we can kind of make ourselves the right condition, if we can respond in the most effective ways, then we'll be uh, operating well. Do you know how depressing it is to go through life and go through problems and not have a clue as to why it's happening, not have a clue as to what to do about it, but that's all you got? That's the only answer there is? In this fourth verse of this chapter, it says, that's not all the answer is. There was a voice spoken in heaven, and God said, don't reveal that. There's an answer, there's a message, but that's not for people to understand yet. In, in, in Deuteronomy 29, 29, it says this. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us. And so otherwise, there, in other words, there are two bodies of knowledge. And the hope of the Christian is, even when I don't understand what's going on, even if I don't understand the reasons, even if I don't know what resources to use, I know there is an answer. And I know the one that has it. And even when I can't figure out the answer, at least I can lay myself in his arms and he'll take care of me, even when I don't understand. That's hope. That's faith. That's how we get through what we don't understand. So that's this tremendous resource we have. Now, certainly, we have the responsibility to teach what we know. We have the responsibility to eat the book and to prophesy. We do know this much. We've got that responsibility. But the hope is that there is an answer resident in God who transcends us. Much of that answer we'll never know until we die. But that doesn't mean there's not an answer. There is an answer, and there is one who cares. Now, the 11th chapter. Uh, You'll like this slide. I like this slide. Eleventh chapter is about the measurement of the temple and the two witnesses. The two witnesses here are are, are pictured as clothed in medieval garb because, uh, uh, again, this was paint, painted in the early 1500s. This, by the way, is a replica of the church at, at Wittenberg. This is uh, probably the pulpit from which Martin Luther um, spoke. These two witnesses... Uh, as you learn of their powers, they, they can breathe fire, they can, uh, they can uh, cause the sun to stop, and, uh, and uh, so on and so forth. You will be reminded of the powers that Moses and Elijah had. But I don't want you just to confine their personalities to that of Moses and Elijah. The witnesses really are uh, the church. They represent the church. And for three and a half years, they tell their story and nobody can stop them. And then the beast comes forward, and the beast destroys them after three and a half years. And and the word says that their bodies lay in the street. They're not buried. They lay in the street, and all the unbelievers celebrate at the destruction of these very irritating people. It says that they are in the city that is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. Now, go ahead and take the, uh, the slide off. Many people identify that with the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem isn't called Sodom and Egypt. So it's not a physical city. If you want to think of the city, think, think of the city in terms of Augustine's uh, 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 two cities, the city of God and the city of man. They, it, Jesus was crucified in the city of man, in the, in the mentalities of the world. And so this representative of the church is now crucified in the, in the mentalities of the world. 
And I believe that the institutional church will undergo tremendous destruction in the future. The church won't die, but the institution will, go, will undergo huge problems. But here's the, here's the sense of this. There is a measurement, there's a standard that all of the church has that the world doesn't have. The 11th chapter says, take a measuring rod and measure that, that segment with, within the walls of the temple or the church and hold that standard. But as for the outside of the temple, don't measure out there. The, the Greek literally says, throw it away. Because they don't have any standards. Why is the world so much, to fun, so much fun to live in? Because they don't care. They, they'll never tell you you're wrong. You know, that's, that's awful nice when you hang around people who will never tell you you're wrong. It just feels good. You know? And that's why people who do hold to a standard of right and wrong are so irritating. And why you just kind of celebrate when they're not around anymore. And that's exactly the witness of the church. We, as we continue to hold the absolute standards of right and wrong, will become a tremendous irritant in this world. And we will be subject to much attack. But not death. Why? Because Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And it's not going to happen. Now, I come to the end of the jet plane ride. And as we taxi back into the hangar, we're going to have a time of repentance. Wouldn't it be silly of us to talk about spiritual sensitivity, to talk about those things that may surround us, that are, destroy, that, that are being taken out of our picture, that are... That are uh, things of uh, calamity to us and for us not to be different from the world for us to not uh, say Lord what are you trying to tell me here so I want to have a time where we can do exactly that and I want to uh, after Vernon comes and kind of sings in order to get our heart in condition I just want to have a brief time of prayer together and I'll, I'll tell you how we're going to do that in a little bit but, but it will be a time when you can just examine your life and you can take the next step Please pray with me. God, we know that in our world those things also happen. We know that uh, there are changes in our environment, our surroundings that are happening even now to us that we just can't explain. They are, they are tremendous. Uh, there are some of us who are experiencing interrupted commerce. <laughs> We're undergoing some financial distress. Uh, our economic system has been shaken up here. Uh, there are some of us who have had those resources that we depend upon somehow tainted or become bitter, uh, taken away from us. Sometimes uh, those, that, those that have been a resource to us just are making us almost sick. It, it's just a disturbance. We have had that which we look up to, uh, which we have looked to for inspiration and for guidance. We've had that darkened. Uh, many of us have had that taken away from us uh, in, a, in a large part. Father, as we experience these things in the world in which we live today, help us to ask the question, why? Help us to say, whoa, I, I want to hold on here until I figure out in what ways my life can be transformed to that reference point in heaven. In what way I can come back to God and be more like Jesus. God, what are you trying to tell us? Send your Holy Spirit right now and give us insight into that which we can change. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
eyes are dry My faith is old My heart is hard My prayers are cold And I know how I ought to be Alive to you And dead to me describe to you three categories of folks. And if you fit in one of these categories, I'm going to ask you to be seated so that the others around you can lay their hands on you and we can all pray. This is a family thing and we can identify, all of us can identify with all of these. But we want to be in as a part of your healing as a part of what God wants to do for you today. And I hope that as you consider these things, you will not wait until it gets to a point of pain where you can't hear it anymore. I hope you will take the wisdom of these passages and repent today. The first category is what came at the end of chapter 9. Those categories which the non-believing people won't repent of, but the believing people ought to. The first one is murder. And if you haven't murdered anybody lately, let me soften that up a little bit. You will remember that in uh, chapter 5 of Matthew, Jesus says, you've been told uh, uh, that murder is wrong. I tell you, anger is wrong. To be angry with your brother, to have that un- unresolved, that, that consistent uh, problem with anger... Um, if you have that, somebody in your life, you're having real trouble with forgiveness. You're having real trouble with kind of a consistent anger. Um, I would just pray that you would, um, you would be able to sit down when the time comes and say, God, I don't want to be angry anymore. 
I want to forgive. I want to love. I want to have the nature of Christ. The second one, the sorcery, the pharmakion. Those of you who have trouble with either drugs or artificial ways of stimulating yourself, some false sense of confidence, some something that you rely on other than God for your confidence, uh, I would pray that you would be able to sit down when the time comes so that you are not uh, depending on something other than God for insight and for confidence. The third category is pornea. Those of us that have this continual problem with lustful thoughts or temptation in that, in that realm, more than just seasonal. You know, it, it's, a, it's a continual um, problem of distraction. If you think about it way more than you want to. And the last one, theft. For those of you who spend a good t- part of your time wishing you had more. For those of you who spend a good time, part of your time, you know, kind of envying other people or, or just concentrating on resources so much so that you would pretty well take, you know, whatever you could get. Uh, and, and you are in danger of that, that desire after the things of this world. Now, for anybody in here who fits into any of those categories, if you would be brave enough to sit right down right now and open enough and vulnerable enough to do that, we'll pray for you. Go ahead and sit down right now. Thank you. Thank you. Boy. Honesty. That's great. Okay, if any of you are left standing, <laughs> surround those folks. Lay hands on those folks, will you? And those of you who are sitting down, kind of just put your hand on each other's shoulders. But go ahead. Go across the aisle and lay hands on those folks. All right? Find someone. This is a church family deal. We're doing this together. We're doing it because we can identify with all these things. Let me pray. God, give us all the Spirit of Christ. That sweet Spirit that depends upon you that will cast out the hatred and the fear. That will cast out the false dependence upon drugs or any other means of confidence that will cast out those lustful thoughts. They will have victory over those lustful thoughts that will cast out the greed and the envy, the idea that comes that we wish we had more, we wish we were someone else. Father, help us to repent and to be content with what we have and who we are and to be glad that you are our God. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, would you stand up? Everybody stand up. The next category is this. And I need to sit down during this one. And I need somebody to come up and lay hands on me. This is the category of people who over the years have cared enough that they have begun to lose their compassion. They're not as sensitive as they used to be. You've gone so hard and so fast that you tend to ignore the very people that you need to love. You don't want to hear it anymore. You've got problems of your own. Those that need to be sensitive to the Spirit and need to love like Christ loves, need to know that that's the Holy Spirit in that other person who's asking you. That's not just them. 
For all of you who feel your sense yourself getting harder or less compassionate, and you don't want to, you want to stay sensitive, would you sit down and let me pray for us? Lay hands on them, you all. God, don't let us lose the sweetness and the sensitivity of your love. And don't let us try to keep it for ourselves. As people come to us and have needs, let us pay attention. Let us take them seriously. And to love them as best we can. We know we're not their solution. We know you're the solution. But help us at least love in some fashion, in some fraction, like you do. So that they'll be able to trust in you. So that they'll be able to love back. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Everybody stand up. This is the last one. There may be people in here who are not sure of their relationship with Christ. God doesn't want that. Wouldn't it be odd if you came to me and I was standing with my wife and they say, is this your wife? And and you'd hear me say, well, I think so. <laughs> or I'm with my sons and they say, are these your sons? And I say, well, I, I hope they are. That didn't come out right. Wouldn't it be odd if, if somebody came and, and, you know, I'm standing by my Jeep and they say, is this your Jeep? And say, well, I, I believe it is. Not sure. God doesn't want you to be any less secure in your relationship with Christ than you are with your wife and your kids and all that he's given you. But yet we know that Satan will try to cause doubts all the time and try to take away your assurance and your confidence in Christ. God doesn't want that. And so if you're not sure that you're saved, if you're not sure absolutely every day that Jesus Christ is your Lord and that you're a citizen of heaven and there's nothing that can take that away, if you're not sure of that and you'd like to be sure of it, sit down right now and let me pray with you the prayer of salvation so that you never have to doubt again. Sit down right now. Thank you. Thanks for your honesty. Those of you who want that assurance, you want to walk in confidence, sit down. Now, if you surrounding them will put your hand on their shoulder. And those of you who are sitting down, if you will just whisper this prayer with me. Because the Bible says, if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Pray this prayer with me. Quietly whisper it as I pray it. God, I confess I'm a sinner. And I confess that I cannot pay you back for my sins. I cannot earn my salvation. But I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. And I believe that his blood is enough to pay for my sins. 
And today I accept with certainty the gift of salvation. And I thank you for it. Jesus, come live in my heart. (laughs) And make of my life whatever you want. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now you can stand up again. I want you to remember this. That your status of salvation does not depend on how you feel. Doesn't depend on what you think. Doesn't depend on anybody's opinion. It depends solely upon the character and word of God. And He has given us His word that if you have prayed that prayer, you are saved. Don't you let anyone take that away from you. Because no one can. The Bible says, especially the gospel that John wrote, I write that you might know that you are saved. Know it today and be glad.